Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network in Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton, and today we have a bumper episode because I'm in conversation with our editor Mary Kirby and with RGN journalist Marissa Garcia. This episode we're wrapping up the Aircraft Interiors Expo 2019 live from Hamburg. But first, thanks to our sponsor. In Conversation is brought to you by Bolteron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. As you draw the latch for your tray table, consider the texture and form of the tray, shaped specifically for your in-flight service convenience. That's Bolteron. Learn more at the all-new B-O-L-T-A-R-O-N dot com. Now, everyone, my girls, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, John. We have so many areas of discussion today. Uh, we're going to talk about 737 MAX, about maps, about IFC, about touch surfaces. But I think first we do have to talk about the 737 MAX. Uh, the initial report from the Ethiopian uh, investigation has just been released. We haven't had a chance to fully review that. But there are passenger experience implications of what's happening in the industry around the MAX at this point. Um, Mary, I know you've been chasing that story all day. Do you want to bring us up to date? Yeah, absolutely. So effectively, when the story broke this morning, that the Ethiopian airline pilots actually had done what they were supposed to do um, and executed on, uh, in fact, the FAA-approved procedure uh, in the event of an MCAS situation, Um, it kind of changed the trajectory of my day because I had kind of set up all of these uh, different interviews with different companies to learn about, you know, seats and product and services and everything else. And suddenly it was we need to now understand the impact to our industry um, of the MAX potentially being grounded for a, a fairly substantial amount of time mm. in our in our world. Well, and in everyone's world. Yeah. I was speaking with a CEO who asked to be uh, kept nameless, yeah. um, but a major CEO uh, uh, here at the show who said that uh, that person has been asking around the show, all the people that they come into contact with, uh, to say how long they think the MAX will be out of service. And the average that the CEO told me was two and a half months. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just one person. I think that's probably lowballing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was hearing three to six by some people on the mm-hmm. show floor today. But. Yeah. I would be surprised if we have a wrap-up episode at Apex in September and it's flying. Which is, it's 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 kind of stunning, really. I think a lot of us are in a little bit of shock at everything that's transpired and how it's all happened. Yeah, but particularly the how. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that was, that was really difficult. Yeah. So let's talk about the implications, Mary. Okay. What what are they? So in the immediate term, what we're hearing from suppliers to the max is obviously sales have dropped off a cliff. That's not going to surprise anybody. But if you're providing a a product on the 737 max, your projections, your targets that you had for that aircraft and your sales, um, suddenly it's a very cloudy area for you. So so I was hearing from folks that that were really excited about being part of the max now saying, okay, hang around, we have to change our targets because of this. So that's the immediate, the sales drop off is the immediate. But we're also hearing about some airlines rethinking uh, effectively airlines that had ordered the MAX. And of course, there's plenty in China and, and India that had rethinking uh, whether they're going to take those aircraft or not. And then also looking at whether or not they can potentially get some A320s, which is not as easy as, as you know, slapping your fingers and making that happen because, you know, Airbus is years out with production. Um, and so then what does that mean to suppliers? And so I talked to some of the suppliers on the show floor that are line fit offerable on the A320 that say, on one hand, 
this could be beneficial to them because, you know, they might get new business. But on the other hand, the, the, the sentiment is that overall, this is a negative for our industry. There's a lot more scrutiny now on how the FAA handles certification. Because EASA operates in lockstep with many things that the FAA does, there may be pain then that pivots over across the pond and then around the world. And so the ripple yeah. effect is already starting to happen. Well, and of course, the, the loss of trusts. Yes. In aviation. The credibility is, issue is a big one right now. It's is a big problem. Well, it, it, that's exactly right. And you have, you know, you have to take the end customer in mind. And passengers are very concerned right now. And if passengers are concerned about this story, if they're concerned about safety, then what's going to need to happen is there needs to be a definitive answer on we have fixed this and that's not an easy one to give because you're talking you're not talking about a particular piece part that you can say oh we've replaced this screw or we've replaced this battery now you're talking about a software hack, uh, uh, fix and that is a completely different animal so you Boeing will really have a challenge ahead of them I don't I think they're up to it um, you know, it's not as though they lack engineering expertise. I think they're up to it. But it, they have been in this story on the defensive from the beginning, and that's not a place to be. You want to be proactive, especially in today's social media climate, in today's rapid sharing of information, for them to hold to the old school, uh, we'll get back to you when we are formally allowed to speak, is understandable, but it's it's out of sync. Yeah. Um, they needed to have been out there, they could have been sharing technical guides for journalists from the beginning. This is what we think here. Explore this. You can explain. Here's an explainer and open it up to the public. They could have taken this message and made it clearer so that it was dominated by, by information rather than by doubts. Mm-hmm. And yes. they failed to do that. So yeah. I think they're going to need to reverse that trend now and, and regain trust. Uh, with the investigations underway, that's not going to be easy. And even with peers, the FAA is right now in hot water with peers because they're, you know, when, from the moment that the peers announced grounding before the FAA did, we knew we were in new, uh, uncharted waters. You know, it, it's just unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a very, it's a time of great uncertainty. But the most important thing to remember is that there was loss of life and that cannot be happening. Period. There's a zero tolerance policy on safety in aviation. So whatever it takes at this point to be able to tell the flying public, you're okay to get back on this aircraft. We can promise you, you're going to be fine. And for everyone to feel comfortable with that, including people within the industry, do it. Whatever it takes, they have to. Yeah. Who's going to be willing to make that promise, though? I think EASA is going to be stuck with a big part of the burden. I would agree. And also, the Canadian uh, Authority is going to have to give it a vote mm. of confidence. Transport Canada is going to have yeah. to a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Transport Canada, exactly. They're, they're, it's not going to be... The FAA has to be in a position of service right now to those uh, fellow peers and say, okay, this is what you need from us. Here it is. We're yeah. granting you the information. We're going to be totally transparent with what we're doing. But, you know, Boeing had that meeting of people to come and hear about the new system. EASA representatives did not show up. Yep, they they the had zero interest yeah. in being there. What the exact reasons, I mean, I've asked, but I haven't heard back on the exact reasons why they didn't show up. But the fact was they were not there. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, 
Boeing sort of reversed that a little bit yesterday with Bjarkios showing up to test the system and giving it a big thumbs up. He's a fighter pilot, so that's a huge yeah. vote of confidence. Um, but at the same time, he has an inter- a vested interest in seeing the aircraft fly again. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly this, uh, you know, it's not an impartial opinion. And the reception on social media has not been kind. They yeah. see it as a PR stunt on yeah. the yeah. You can't yeah. join Twitter and do a thing and not be accused of a PR yes, stunt. That, yeah, that's and, fair. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. it, 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 at this point, that's the problem. The messaging was off from the beginning. And so now regaining credibility is going to be difficult unless they come with clear, transparent, technical information. Um, and that may be painful. I mean, they may even end up having to disclose things that they believe are proprietary that they may not want to disclose. But if that's what it takes to reassure the public and regulators that they're doing the right thing, at some point they're going to have to make that hard decision. We do know that we're not going to live in a world without Boeing because we're in a duopoly. We're going to need to have Boeing around. And I think, as you said, I don't think it's likely that the airline industry is going to write off the max either, 100%. Mm, but they can fly without it, even if it's not the SU-20, if they have to revert to standard max. You know? pull, pull some uh, <laughs> MD-80s out of the desert. And yeah. then well, you know. we, we were talking about the yeah. moment that was grounded. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, there's yeah. the... the the narrowbody crunch mm-hmm. is a problem. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, I think the one of your options, is, if you're an airline, you know, return to what you're saying, Mary. One of your options, if you're an airline, is will you fly what you've got for a bit longer? Mm-hmm. The other option is well, the A320 Neo is essentially full at this point. Mm-hmm. So your choice is to upgauge. You know, I bet you could get a few relatively inexpensive wide bodies mm-hmm. if you're an airline, and let's say you have. 15 flights a day between, I don't know, New York and Los Angeles mm-hmm. on, on the narrow body. Maybe you could upgauge one of those to a wide body and, and use those planes for something else. Mm-hmm. Another option is, well, I, I suspect that the questions have been asked in, uh, in, in Mirabel, in Montreal, just how many, uh, Airbus A220s, I was about to say Bombardier C series, can be produced quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're an airline, you no longer have confidence in the max, you want to send a message. Hmm. Do you do you purchase a, a, a large number of CS300s and how quickly can you have them? And to be clear, Airbus, from the very beginning, ever since the Ethiopian crash, is not happy about this turn no, of events of on any level Mm-mm. at all, even though they may ultimately benefit in because of what we're talking about. Yeah. They, in fact, gosh, their CEO came out with a statement right off the bat mm-hmm. saying, you know, mm-hmm. we wouldn't wish this on anybody. Yeah. We don't wish this on Boeing. Yeah, and agreed. Agreed. Well, as I said earlier, you know, I, I, in this, the industry has a little bit of a superstitious nature and, and, and would, rightly so. You do not... Uh, you do not take glee in other people's misery. That's, yeah. you know, and it, it, it could happen to anybody. It's yeah. just uh, it's something that... Um, you want to just respect the, the key thing, which is that people have lost their lives. Um, people have lost their families. The UN has lost great charitable people who are doing important things to help advance the human condition. So, um, you know, as I said, it just needs to be a, a trustworthy fix. And I do believe as you both said, there are other aircraft options available and lessers may have an answer. You know, they're mm-hmm. sitting yeah. on a lot of, um, you know, inventory that, that could fluctuate. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I hear there are a few aircraft from Wow Air that, you know, could be <laughs> repositioned <laughs> relatively swiftly. 
Indeed, indeed. I mean, look, it's it's. I was not expecting a Mac to dominate AIX, mm-hmm. but on the final day, it did. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's that's kind of just how deeply aviation is intertwined. Yes. Um, you know, f- whether it's from Airbus, you know, experiencing similar issues with similar suppliers to Boeing on things. You know, let's bring it back to interiors, right? You know, bring it back to interiors, bring it back to engines. Um, you know, these are these are similar problems on what are essentially similar platforms at this point. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's. It's interesting, a little bit troubling to think about what what the implications are for mm-hmm. for the passenger experience industry. Absolutely, how it might uh, ultimately, you know, also, you know, from the vendor standpoint, not discounting on any level the passenger standpoint, because if you're on social media, you see passengers that are vowing that they're never going to fly the Max. You even see some folks saying that maybe Boeing's going to have to change the name or just go back to it being known as the Seven Thirty Seven and and stop because mm-hmm. the Max is kind of like a pariah now. Yeah. So from that standpoint, it's 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 you it's palatable the fear out there, you know. Um, but also, you know, from the vendor standpoint, they're concerned because it costs a lot of money to interface with Boeing's IP, right? Right. So they've invested time and money and resources in order to get on the MAX in the first place right. and cold comfort now that right. these are all being parked and that their targets are now, you know, falling off a cliff. So yeah, there's the reverberation is just stunning, yeah. really. Yeah. Recovery yeah. in R&D is... is um, yeah. It's, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. So this show, this AIX, yeah. the Aircraft Interiors Expo, I mean, I didn't even get over to the catering side of the show in the sunlit uplands of West Berlin across the street where there's fruit and natural daylight. Um, for me, this show is really split into two place, into two sections at this point. There's the IFEC, so in-flight entertainment and connectivity for those of you playing along at home, uh, in, uh, to the north end of the, uh, of the show. And then, Really, the rest of passenger experience, the cabin interior side, mm-hmm. in the three huge big halls. Mm-hmm. So let's start. Let's start at the top. Uh, we'll start with the next generation IFC architecture yeah. and infrastructure. Mary, you you were all over this like a <laughs> like a rash. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of my favorite topics, the connected aircraft, and it's really, it's, it's going beyond passenger experience. Of course, it's the nose to tail connected aircraft and everything that you can do with a broadband pipe. Um, and really what we're starting to see is this next generation antenna technology. And there's a number of players out there that are, they're edging into this space. It's going to be a few years because right now what we have is kind of phased array, electronically steerable antennas that we're going to see the, the first line of product coming from these manufacturers. But in order for them to really gain their their stride, you might be looking at the second generation before it's really where it needs to be. But they're all talking about it now. Like with like with the current generation antennas. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Um, and so the time frame that we're hearing is a lot of kind of 2021, uh, 2022. But at that point, you have to also imagine that a large percentage of the world fleet uh, in terms of at least the premium carriers and uh, obviously a lot of the regional low cost carriers even uh, at this juncture will have already equipped and will there be what 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 will their temperature be to now uh, take a system off and replace it so one of the the messages that I heard loud and clear this week is that making that process as easy as possible is the name of the game and so this is where the MROs are now starting to step up and say and I had a great conversation with Lufthansa Technic today and they said you know we are now starting to see this next generation coming online because Lufthansa 
was one of the original Connection by Boeing customers. They've got a bit of experience because it's... who remembers two thousand seven? Exactly, right? the life before iPhones. Exactly. Yes. So they are accustomed to taking kit off, and then of course Panasonic Avionics came in to re- to fill the void that Connection by Boeing had created. So Lufthansa Technic is feeling kind of very well placed now as this next generation of it, it's a slimmer antenna you know these are conformal antennas um so you're not going to see the kind of the large hump bump wart whatever you want to call it uh, i'm a, i'm a fan of the wart because it means a connected experience but you're going to start seeing a slimmer profile um it began i would say fair fair play to go go with the 2ku solution mm-hmm. we're going down that direction yeah. of more slim and ultimately which is really fascinating to me now it's going to take some time ultimately looking at the possibility of integrating the antenna into the fuselage. That's great. Yeah. And um, yeah. and that means building it from the ground up. And that means Boeing and Airbus yeah. having those conversations very, very early on and saying, this is a totally disruptive idea for commercial yeah. aviation. And what does it mean? And how can we do it safely? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, at this point, that means that we're looking at 2030, the earliest for that sort of thing, you know, once we start talking about new fuselages. It sounds like pie in the sky, but, you know, the last 20 years, in my mind, have kind of flown by in <laughs> some ways. So yeah. it'll be there in a heartbeat. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I thought it was really interesting that what you were saying about everyone looking towards the upgrade path, you know, um, I was at Saffron Rave's stand. I was not expecting to see antennas. Yeah, that was amazing. At at, at that stand. And that's for Inmarsat GX. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And they were very clear that, look, this this can take your your smaller radome. We also have a solution for if you picked a bigger radome last time around, we can pop that just on there and it's fine and you don't have to change anything apart from literally the radome of what's underneath it. And that's really interesting. Now, what I also find interesting is this is the first time that from multiple suppliers I've heard the message that we know what the future looks like and and the future seems to look like KA band mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm Mary you're nodding um, this, this is great radio Mary you're nodding um, but but you know you're, you're, you're nodding and, and I you know we, we've we, we've all seen many claims about KU versus KA yes um, I think at this point the future has been won by KA I think a pivotal moment came last fall during the Apex Expo, actually, mm-hmm. when Panasonic announced that it, just right in advance of the show that they had forged a strategic relationship with Inmarsat. Now, for, for those who haven't been tracking the industry for a long time, once upon a time, Inmarsat and Panasonic were arch rivals in the space. Uh, to the point that I, if I could go back into some of the historic headlines that I've written, it, it got kind of ugly at times. So it was monumental when Panasonic said, no, actually, we are now going to become strategic partner, effectively uh, a value-added reseller um, that is collaborating now and, and effectively selling the MRSAT Global Express Service, which is a KA band solution. Yeah. When you have the largest in-flight entertainment company in the world pivoting to KA on that, level and saying that that will be a primary sales tactic um, that's right when the narrative started to really change and indeed the largest provider of KU and one of the earliest providers of yeah. KU and again um, they filled the void uh, yeah. left by connection which was a KU yeah. solution yeah, exactly. and that which was you know Boeing effectively yeah. originally but we are heading in that direction of course Viasat has really set the standard from a passenger experience standpoint the expectation has been set for high capacity KA I remember that chilly December morning in yeah. JetBlue with, with you and a whole bunch of other, other, <laughs> the stalwarts of the aviation journalism industry just sort of 
being wowed. Um, You know, us kicking that thing and trying to make it fall over and it didn't. To be Skyping in flight. It remains the best test flight I've ever been on. I believe you have either in terms of in-flight connectivity test flights and I've been on a few. And that was, and you know, that was... That was that was a confusing like and it and it remains the best yeah. experience from yeah. a from yeah. a test perspective that I've mm-hmm. ever experienced yeah. and yeah. we see it on social media. All, of course, we're all living on Twitter and and we see the 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 positivity and the talkability around the Viasat solution and that yeah. really yeah. has had an impact. Um, and it's also causing these other in-flight connectivity providers that compete with Viasat to say, okay, stepping up our game yeah. and how do we support. A free model. How do we support a free tier? How do we support Netflix and Hulu and all yeah. of that? And so it's it's helped elevate the entire yeah. uh, situation. Yeah. And and people people with exposure to the JetBlue experience are now asking for it. Yes. You know, remember when when Viasat got in in Europe with the, the Scandinavians and the Finns, yeah. people saying, "Is this going to be the JetBlue experience?" And it and is. It, it really is. <laughs> and you both have written about it, actually, which has been wonderful. Yeah, yeah. and on, on, on both on, on, the, mm-hmm. on the two airlines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still have questions, yeah. right? You know, even on the streaming tier, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the wizardry behind the scenes means that you're streaming what is basically a medium-deaf, charitably, mm-hmm. a medium-deaf piece of content. Mm-hmm. Um, how long is it going to be until people realise that actually... If I'm watching on Netflix on the plane, I could download it in my terminal at Helsinki where there's free 400 megabit per second internet in 25 seconds. And I could download it in HD and just watch it on the plane. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that changes your business model. But what else changes your business model is that New Zealand is giving away GX for free. Yep. What happens when what has been a premium chargeable service is now a hygiene factor yeah i mean it's a really it's confirmation that passengers and we've all known it for a while they expect to be connected they demand to be connected but they don't want to pay to be connected right um because of the experience we have on the ground of being able to connect you know with our own mobiles of course but also in cafes and hotels and everything else expectation not applicable in germany exactly exactly (laughs) and so how does the industry respond to that because this is not cheap it's expensive no. and it remains no. expensive. So yeah. yeah, but as you said, uh, there, I think there is a perspective. You said the other night at the Crystal Cabin Awards when you gave such a wonderful background on this, such a, yeah. a wonderful yeah. speech. Um, it, you, it's a human right at this point. It's really, and the Finns have determined this as well. You know, yeah. it's really a matter of being able to communicate and being able to advance yourself. So I don't think there's going to be a big appetite for people to treat it like a premium. A luxury product, and we've said that from the beginning. Really, yeah, yeah. people have been predicting that. Mm, no, absolutely. So, where does this leave in-flight entertainment? Is it just the moving map? <laughs> you know, I know that to be honest, most of the time when I travel, I've preloaded my own content uh, because I travel enough that I've, you know, even if I've just watched the movies on the way out, there's nothing new on the way back if I'm going back the same month. So, one, what's in front of me is a moving map, and I look up every so often and I take a look at it, and I'm like, oh, how, how nice a shipwreck. Um, we've seen a lot of new map stuff mm-hmm. this show. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 jump into the map. Yeah, it started at seven thirty a.m. at the Panasonic Avionics booth on Tuesday at the top of the show. Wasn't that four years ago? It feels <laughs> like four years ago at this point. Yeah, it does. Um, when Panasonic announced that it is going to offer its own kind of native map to its own system, it was it was. 
kind of a shocking moment because Panasonic has partnered all these years with different companies to offer maps. Um, you know, they sell to airlines their hardware and then various different map providers uh, supply the software. And they, those include the Collins Aerospace, Airshow Solution, and Flight Path 3D. So it was a bit of a stunner if you're kind of following the in-flight entertainment side of the equation mm. that Panasonic was kind of moving into the map scenario. I mean, certainly there will be interest. Um, and uh, I know, Marissa, you had a chance to get to see some of this on the stand, yeah? Um, it, I think it's just really a, a, a fun upgrade, if you will. And in fairness, I think anybody could do it in a development thing um, uh, phase, but they did, you know. So it's there now, and that's going to set the, the next bar. I wouldn't be surprised if others come along uh, and say, well, we can too. Uh, as you said, using process data instead of uh, curated data, doesn't matter. But I, I love the idea of kids being able to travel back in time and, you know, fly a pterodactyl. And I love the idea of being able to use your handheld device to fly like a bird over the landmass. Oh, yeah. This was yeah. Uh, the Panasonic has dino maps for yeah. children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. What, what dinosaurs used to live on the ground where we're now flying. Yeah. Over. I, I, and they you know? literally reshape the landmass that type of engaging it's content it's yeah it's definitely as you said you know sometimes that's the content that you need um so i think it's just an, a new dimension and i wouldn't be surprised if they get some competition coming in there really quickly with that oh yeah, yeah. i mean and they look i mean at the end of the day flight path 3d to be fair to them have really kind of set the standard on the map they're the ones front. who raise that bar there yeah. they raise the yeah. bar and now everyone's chasing them at this point mm -hmm. they've got over 50 airlines they're on seatback screens they're on mm -hmm. wireless and you know they're as you say they're doing you know crowdsourcing data yeah. they're they're going into social media and finding yeah. out the things that people really want yeah. to see and and, you know, I, I I keep going back to when I fly, I was like, oh, good, it's Flight Path 3D. Yes. Like, it's going to be a good map, yes. you know, and, and I'm going to be able to see things. And you see it on Twitter as well. Passengers yeah. will post it like, oh, my goodness, look at this moving map. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what I find really interesting is that nobody yet has, and I've asked a couple of providers this, no one yet has the what am I looking at option. Right, there needs to be a button of what am I looking at right now, and it can tell whether you're in a, in a seat on the left hand side of the plane or the right hand side of the plane, and it'll know what the field of vision should be, right, and it should know if you're passing over the I don't know sleepy hamlet of Snezhizogorsk, and that what you can see is probably you know Mount Snezh, right, and and or the the beautiful tiger forests of Right, it, that's that's a kind of thing that I always want to know. You I'm want more point of interest? Yeah. What yeah. What, what am I looking at? Okay. You know, the arc system seems to hint at that. I mean, it looks like mm. there's you know pointers on the map that you can uh, gloss into. This is the Panasonic system. Yes, yeah. exactly yeah. the Panasonic mm -hmm. arc system. It, it, so they're headed in there. If if it's not already there, remember they're just giving yeah. us a little taster. We right. don't know exactly yeah. what's going to be behind the curtain. Uh, to what, it, but just the fact that they're offering for you to fly the plane like a bird yourself, right. yeah. that shows that they're mm -hmm. really delving into the geography. Right. So it, it's definitely yeah. flexible to yeah. do all of, and yeah. that's. You're absolutely right. That's where it needs to be because people feel isolated on the plane. They feel like uh, removed. Mm -hmm. And not everybody has a window seat. Sad to have people. I mean, some of us fight for that. Right. <laughs> but well, and, and this can work in the virtual window thing that, that, yeah. that I always said Rockwell, that Collins Aerospace was showing from the Emirates suite. And they yes. were a finalist for the Crystal Cabin Award yeah. for... Uh, 
in-flight entertainment and connectivity, which was an interesting... Right. Uh, and, and here's the thing, you meld a, yeah. a what am I looking at or what could I be looking at, yep. right? And that starts to get really interesting. And I think that that will start you know, doing all sorts of really interesting things for passengers. You'll start feeling a little bit reassured. You'll understand where you are. You'll be able to place yourself. And there are beautiful parts of the world to fly over. I mean, one of my favourite favorite things here is, 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 and I actually almost will choose a connection over this. From my home airport in Lyon, I have a number of connection options in Europe to other places in Europe. Not a lot of non-stop flights. I will choose to fly by Munich because you fly up the side of the Alps. Oh. And it is the most beautiful hour and a half of flying. Yeah. You know, mountains stretching out for days, mm-hmm. lakes and little valleys and villages. And what, I ha- what I've started doing is I've started preloading Google Maps on my phone. Right, like sort of as if I was driving. Uh, have you really? I sort of, yeah, and you can. You've uh, become the preload man. <laughs> I am. I'll preload my movies and I'll that's, preload my maps. That's what they call me, Mary. <laughs> and, and so, but so I can, I'm like, oh, that's the, you know, Swiss village of Nobelhausen, right? And it's, and it's, I realize I'm a pathological geographer in that way, but it's the kind of thing that people want. And essentially, I was talking to Panasonic, I was talking to Andrew at Panasonic, who was part of the, the Stockholm based team that designed this, you know, and it was all, all sort of very young and funky and, kind of not very Panasonic-y kind of group, you know. It was very clear that, you know, it's it's young people and, you know... Well, they're developers. They're, yeah, kids with septum rings, yeah. you know. It's, it's like there's a lot of wider industry stuff going into the passenger experience, which I'm 100% in favour favor of. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, that's a really good idea. We'll, 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 we'll look into it, you know. And, and that's, the, that's the kind of thing that, that this show is fantastic for. Mm-hmm. It's whether someone from the media goes, oh, have you, have you thought about this? And the the the, the exhibitors no, but why not? Yeah. Um, and we're in a place of no, but why not? Rather than no, that's not our thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I and I I really appreciate that. And those who have set the standards in maps and elsewhere, as you know yourself, John, on on the show floor, have been tr- protecting a lot of what they've done now with their I- protecting their IP. Yeah. And they have to because yeah. it's kind of getting very, very competitive on this front. I remember years ago, it used to always kind of be about the boxes and the hardware. Mm-hmm. And now it's becoming uh, a lot more about yeah. the software and the cloud it's... and the digitization of our industry. And it's just, it's a different world. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that that I was covering with the passenger technology solutions for um, meetings this week. It really is like we've had the three dimensions in the cabin, and we've been thinking in three D the whole time. But okay, you have only so much space, and they're limited. And people are now getting into that fourth dimension of time, and the only way to open that up is through digitalization, because you have access to everything you can expedite all of the experience you can expedite your processes so there's a gain for airlines there's a gain for passengers mm-hmm. it's definitely the way to go yeah and it's not just digitalization of the screen it's oh, no, these no, new no, no. intelligent touch surfaces you were yeah. talking about marissa you know let's 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 run people through them what, what were you seeing at the panasonic booth well i was seeing some extremely exciting stuff from a designer perspective because you're talking about beautiful um finishes and beautiful uh uh, surfaces that when they are not illuminated are just a delight to have there, mm. but then they can be turned on to be smart, both in revealing information with very clear, um, lighting, um, that, you know, really clear numbers, easy to read. There's no interference whatsoever. It's just transparent. And also talk, uh, tactile response. So you can actually touch 
uh, a nice wooden panel and have it respond to your touch and pull up a menu. Uh, it blows my mind. Same thing with a leather armrest. It can be responsive. So that level of um, tactile, beautiful digital experience to me is much better than, I mean, no, a screen is great. I'm not putting down screens. Don't you be just in those screens, Marissa. No, the screen. I yeah. love glass. Glass is gorgeous. We're, we're doubling, tripling screening. Yeah, right, yeah, but, yeah. you know, you think about putting it on a wall monument, Mm -hmm. um, you know, great flight information yeah. updated, even the, the newer maps uh, yeah. just being shown up. Um, you think about it being in your armrest instead of having to have buttons to control your seat, which will, uh, I don't know about you guys, but for me, they always get in the way of something, either my purse or my yeah. ribs. When or your ribs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, or, or, that's all there, where you rest your arm naturally yeah. and suddenly your seat moves. You're like, oh, what, what yeah. on earth happened? Mm -hmm. Or you turn uh, off, you know, you turn off the IFE by accident because, you know, you're... I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's so many touch screens you yeah. don't realise what you're doing now. <clears throat> and I find it really interesting at this show there were quite a few people saying, well, actually, what if we didn't need a screen? Yeah. What if we could give you what you want without a screen? Mm -hmm. Rave was showing us that, yeah. right? They had that amazing 4K projector, which the clarity of that was insane. And actually the luminosity as well, because we assume that a projector is going to be dim in a lit cabin. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be fine if it's not daytime, mm -hmm. right? But this was actually pretty good. Nice. Um, Laurence Triter, who we all may remember from his time at Zodiac As Was, uh, now has a new consultancy called Silent Design. And he was on the MGR foam tech stand with a really interesting concept called Moments. Again, a, a Crystal Cabin Award mm -hmm. uh, entrant saying, well, actually, what if we put a projector instead of a screen? What if we projected it on a surface that could become a massive table that literally just folds down very simply and that's your surface? Mm -hmm. what, what, if, what if the buttons were not clicky metal buttons, but actually you just printed what the word was on top of the armrest and the button was under the fabric of the armrest? Yeah. What if, what if, what if, what if? You know, but what because... is amazing is some of this technology was teased Goodness, nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. I go back to the World Airline Entertainment Association, WAEA, now known as Apex. But 20 years ago, there was a company, I think it was Delta Beta, I think was the name of the company. And they were looking at projector technology on the tray table yeah. to allow you to type on the tray table, you know, back when, you know, back when we that was a big deal. Back when was still going to be a thing. <laughs> yes. Right, yeah. But it just amazes me how sometimes things come around full circle. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, keyboards are still a thing as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. But you know what? I'm trying to think of the number of people who I saw taking notes on laptops versus iPads mm. versus phones this time. No, that's true. But thumbs are becoming increasingly important typing tools. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I'm a touch typist, so I'm still a laptop yeah. gal. But yeah, I... Yeah, I <laughs> I remember my Mavis Beacon, you know. I could always be a secretary if this doesn't work out. It's <laughs> true. You need to see true. my keyboard no, with all the letters scratched out. Yes. People look at it and say, how do you know what to type? I'm like, who yeah. looks? Yes. <laughs> you can be a CEO. Oh, thank you. Yes, absolutely. But you are a CEO. <laughs> these, these surfaces are amazing. And what we can do with these surfaces is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Whether that's the, you know, uh, micro LED stuff that Collins is showing. Yeah. It's Kydex Lumina. Mm -hmm. Kydex, of course, is the new old name ah, yes. for Sekisui SPI. And Lumina is uh, essentially, you remember their infused imaging product yeah. from a few years back? Well, released a few years back. Yeah. Um, it was it was the first time I had a real wow thermoplastics moment. Because you can put 
anything on that. And it doesn't stretch, it doesn't warp, it, it's amazing. This is basically that, but 3D. And it is hard to write about this because you can't talk about it unless you've seen it in action. You need action. to see it. It is absolutely incredible. And, and, and you can light it behind by a cheap $5 strip of LEDs. Right? Yep. This is not something you speed. Another Crystal Cabin Award finalist. Yeah. You know, yeah. amazing. Um, can we just have a moment to shout out to the Crystal Cabin Awards yes. and how they consistently pick great technology? And the number of categories where I was like, there is no clear winner here. Yeah. All of these products... Are, are deserving. Are deserving. Yeah. Very know? much so, very much so. One thing, and I, I'm, I'm very honored to be a judge for the Crystal Cabin Awards, and I get a chance to work with um, the kind of the engineers that have been in the industry for the last 40 years sort of yeah. thing, you know, and get a chance to really learn from them as well and, and also bring some fresh thinking to the, to the table. And it, it's just amazing. Every year, the innovations are better and and more impressive and and I think it was what we had nearly a hundred submissions this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, around the world, it's just incredible. And yeah. um, I was talking with your fellow judge Susanna Hunkova of oh, yes. ATR. Oh yes, today at their stand, and they are doing some amazing work for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. Yes, this was fantastic. They had worked, been working with a uh, an association for the deaf and hard of hearing. And realize that there is a big problem in the cabin because there's a lot of external noise, which is harder if you, uh, if you're hard of hearing, if you have hearing uh, aids, if you have hearing implants, if you have cockpit implants. This is really problematic. Now, there is a standard out there that aviation has essentially not been using, and it's the T position standard, right? And what that does is it uses a, a magnetic wire loop and in magnetic induction to transmit audio into uh, waves, and then that is retransmitted inside your device. That it was so interesting to, and, and they brought one of the members of this association along to to explain, to, to essentially outline the problem to folks in the aviation industry. Oh, great. It was fantastic. And what they're doing, they have this initial thing, which essentially you add a sort of a, a U-shaped coil, essentially a magnetic coil, over the back of the seat of the, of the headrest. And what that does is that lets uh, the in-flight announcements, whatever's coming through the, the, the PA system, Go from PA audio into uh, essentially magnetic waves into the uh, hearing implants of people who have turned their uh, hearing aid or implant to T, which makes it possible to hear, significantly less stressful, significantly less, less confusing. You're getting your vital safety messages. It was one of the actually quite a number of things that makes why are we not doing this already? Mm. Accessibility is having a very serious moment now in our industry, yes. which is so impressive. I, I think the ball started getting rolling. Believe it or not, they, they don't get the credit for it as they should, but about five, six years ago, it was Air Canada that yes. rolled out accessible embedded IFE mm -hmm. on the 787. Yeah. And then, of course, last year we had Blue Box was a Crystal Cabin Award yeah. winner for its accessible portable IFE on, on the iPad um, yeah. for, for the blind. Yeah. Shout um, out to Emirates and Patrick Branley as well uh, for the audio yes. description yeah, work as well. Absolutely. And the deaf, of, deaf and hard of hearing are kind of, uh, and I appreciate this because they, they're really sounding the alarm, uh, you know, on social media and saying, uh, what about us? Because yeah. you're, the, it seems like our industry is figuring it out, um, for the, 
for the blind passenger and the passenger that has difficult sight. But the deaf and hard of hearing are still waiting for uh, parity and equality. And part of the reason why we don't have that is because we're only getting a percentage of the content with captions, with true captions. We're not talking about subtitles. Mm-hmm. We're talking about true Actual captions, closed, captioning. closed mm-hmm. captioning. So it's only a percentage. And also on the regulatory front, including in the United States, efforts that were to push this forward have been stymied by our current administration. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of reasons for that, that, you know, anyone who wants to talk to us individually about why that's happening <sighs> and the two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back, yeah. but it's happening. And, uh, and please feel free to reach out. But there are, uh, there's a real push now for accessibility. Yeah. And that's the yeah. reason why United Airlines, in partnership with Panasonic, won uh, the Crystal Cabin Award for the in-flight entertainment and connectivity. They have a truly accessible experience for passengers on, yeah. you know, on, on the 787. And yeah. it's impressive. Yeah. But it goes back to some of the most obvious and basic things. Yeah. Like, why are the little placards, the plastic printed placards that say, Fasten seatbelt when seated. They're just the same. Not in Braille. Yeah. Mm. Well, it, it is. And it is. This is where I get excited about the the finger sensors that I mentioned at Panasonic, because they have this haptic quality that is not only bumps and and um, and vibrations, but it's also temperature. So technically, it could be used to transmit Braille if they if someone wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. It could be used just to help a person who, who is blind experience a product that is on a magazine and actually someone who's sighted, anyone, can experience a product that is from a picture and really feel it. I thought it was very good. And then you have also, in terms of the the arc, going back to the arc, another push from the industry, which AIDA is really behind, is helping people with what what is known as invisible disabilities, yes. people who have um, learning disabilities, people who are uh, autistic. Yes. There's a real push to help those passengers to mm-hmm. recognize their needs. And something like the art technology, the moving maps that, that, that can give people something to focus on, give, uh, you know, autistic children tend to really enjoy something that they can really concentrate on that makes them feel at ease. There's no reason content can't be a solution for yeah. those passengers. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And it's about meeting the needs of all passengers. You know, um, yes. it's, you know, we talk about diversity quite a lot on Primary Care Network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's important. It's not just, it's not just about the, the protected characteristics that we talk about, you know, gender, age, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, disability status. It's about making sure that, that everyone is served and everyone feels welcome, everyone yes. feels included. And safe. One of the things that I, you know, when you see this push in industry for accessibility, you have to also look inwardly and say, what what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Have I cleaned up my house on this front? Because you can't preach about it unless you do something about it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, what we need to start doing is with these podcasts is to offer a transcript of the podcast. That's And it's it's factoring in... It is there is a cost to this, okay? Mm-hmm. There is a cost, and I know some companies offset the cost by getting sponsorship for you know ex- in, improving their accessibility. But it's something that you know all week long has been kind of in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, how can you preach about it if you're not doing it? I've, and, I've been thinking something similar, you know. Yeah. And so we have yeah. to do it, and we have yeah. to find a way, and and so we're all going to kind of collectively get there yep. together. Yep, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. We were talking about safety just now. 
and you saw something very interesting at Adiant. Adiant, 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 tomato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about it, Mary. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they have been, they've been rather kind of secretive, I suppose would be fair to say in terms of, and they're on a, a kind of the opposite end. They're in B1 of the hall, so they're kind of the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to the interiors, which has worked kind of in their favor because it's, at, you know, added some kind of excitement around it, you know, because it's everything's behind closed doors. But what I saw today was their baseline product, which is going to launch on uh, Hawaiian Airlines, right? Mm-hmm. This is the story that you wrote for us, John, on the 787. But they have a, a kind of an even more baseline product than that, that, that they're selling. And you have to opt in to the privacy divider going all the way down. Because you're so close to the person beside you, in a Me Too world, together, you and your seatmate, if you want that privacy divider to go all the way down and give you the maximum space for sleep, you have to press the button together to get it to go all the way down. And that means consent. And I have never in 20 years of covering aircraft interiors seen consent baked in to a seat. Agreed. It's baking right to the hardware. You know, and you know, we've seen, we've seen a lot of these dividers, you know, and sometimes you have a a shared understanding, sometimes you don't, usually you just put it up and it stays up and that's fine. This is an excellent way of, of actually really thinking about Okay, what are the implications for people of the technology I am developing? Yeah, yeah. and I, 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 and kudos to Adient Adient for that. You know, that's that's the kind of thing that that. that more of us in the industry need to be thinking about and asking those questions. For sure. Marissa, you had a good idea earlier about how, you know, in-flight sexual harassment and sexual assault is a real issue. The FBI is investigating yeah. many, many now cases. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Mary, what I was mentioning was it was just sort of a light bulb moment the other day. I thought, why isn't there a, a, a silent reporting feature in IFE? It's something that would be really easy to add on. And as as you mentioned, it could help people who are being trafficked to report themselves as feeling in danger, or it could help anyone, any passenger who's feeling harassed to simply report. And with the technology we have nowadays, it's really easy to flag that on a flight attendant's app, and they can report it to the captain, and they can make a decision on how to handle the matter. But it's more discreet than a woman or someone else who feels vulnerable, having to press a button that the passenger next to them obviously sees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that could be added to something like the safety briefing at the beginning and letting people know that that's available to them and they can touch a button or or touch, you know, any kind of a interface that that will make them comfortable. IFE as a safety device just is uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, that, that, that's transformative. It really it? is. It really is. It really I is. think it's something that that um, it's just a missed opportunity. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, I can tell you, I've been traveling since my twenties, which has been a little while ago, and on my own as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I've had so many uncomfortable, really uncomfortable moments on aircraft because I always mostly traveled economy where you just feel like you don't have an out. You're in between two men on a triple and both of them are, you know, making you extreme. One or the other one is making you, what do you do? Do you raise the alarm or do you just sit there and take it? And um, I'm not very much a take it kind of lady. 
You so don't I've, say, Marissa. No. <laughs> so I've had some very marked confrontations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Spain, we have the tradition, if I need to slap you, I will. Thank you. Yes. Um, but, you know, I haven't actually slapped anybody on the plane, but I've come close. Mm-hmm. So that nobody wants to be in that position. Nobody should no. be in yeah. that position. No. But it's also up to men who are observing this sort yeah. of behavior to say something. That's we are in a position of power and privilege in that a man can say to another man, hey. wait, calm down, buddy. Yeah. What, what on earth are you doing? You know, and, and that's, that's really that. important. And that, again, is the benefit of adding this, this make me feel safe feature um, is that it also raises awareness that there is vigilance on board. Mm-hmm. It raises awareness that the airline is conscious of this problem and will be watching you. It's almost like Big Brother comes in to help Yeah, in a good way. It, it's amazing. It's almost an extension of, I know American Airlines uses its drop-down screens as kind of a safety device because if there, for example, is an emergency on board and they need a doctor, right. everybody will see signage saying, right. mm-hmm. if you are a doctor, you know, please come to... Which is fantastic. It's yeah. using the technology that's on board yeah. uh, beyond the entertainment, beyond the connected experience yeah. to something that makes everybody feel more comfortable yeah. and more safe. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I think we, we, we have to close this podcast by challenging everyone in the industry. Yeah. Trying to figure out how what they do, whatever it is they do, mm-hmm. if they are in an airline, if they're in an OEM, if they're a supplier, if they're a sub-supplier, if they're a programmer for IFE, mm-hmm. if they work in any form of hard or soft product, anything to do with aviation, think about what you can do to contribute to this to make everyone on board feel safe welcomed accepted comfortable and and like they belong it's number one safety is number one it is on that note that is it for today's conversation we certainly hope you enjoyed it listeners and we are always keen to find out what you think please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions thank you to our guests Marissa where can folks find you online oh but designer Jen and on Twitter and elsewhere too. <laughs> and of course on Run and Girl Network where absolutely. you will find Mary Kirby. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and please email us your thoughts. Absolutely. At Mary at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. We want to hear from you. As ever, you can find me on Twitter at ThatJohn and everything from RGN and all of us on Twitter at RunwayGirl and at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. That's especially important. And thank you for listening.